Welcome to the sermon podcast of Damascus Road Church. For more information about Damascus Road Church, go to damascusroadonline.com. Hi, my name is Michael. I'm part of the teaching team for Damascus Road Church, and it is a, it's a privilege, a privilege to be able to stand here and talk to you today. And... Um, I, we had a little bit of unfinished business from the last time I was here at West. When was that? Was that like a month ago? Anybody remember? But you, thank you. At least you were here. At least you was here. June 28th. Okay. About five, six weeks ago. Something like that. Um, a little bit of unfin- unfinished business. We kind of stumbled into a, uh, a conversation that's probably a little too long about high school mascots. <laughs> Anybody remember that? And so we have, uh, we, we need to finish the business by declaring which one is the most intimidating, okay? And uh, both of these, it should be noted, are from Michigan. And I think I got them right. Um, but yeah, if you could throw up that first photo. Um, who, who, was, who was this? Am I, I hope I'm remembering it right. Flying Dutchman? Who, anybody in Manchester, Michigan? Holland, Michigan? It, Anybody remember who, so, someone who was here that day, this was, their, uh, this was their high school mascot, Flying Dutchman. Anybody, does anybody remember? Todd? Let's blame it on Todd. He's from Iowa? Okay, let's just say it's in Iowa. Okay. This, it was somebody's. Okay, and then second of all is the, the chicks. Who, who was this? And where, this is uh, Zealand, Michigan. Well, maybe because you're the only one here, maybe you'll take the cake. Um... Yeah, what do you guys think about this? What like what comes to mind when you see this image? You like it? Huh? Not toughness. So, all right, what? The Panthers. Oh, okay, yeah, that's on another. That's just a whole other level. Okay, um, can anybody beat this though? High school mascots. Anybody have a? Um, not just knights, purple knights. Okay, purple knights. Green what? Green field hawks. Is that a, unicorns? Unicorns. That that tops all. Okay. Marshmen. And what is that exactly? A marsh 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 lady? Like swamp. Okay, Okay. Um, well, let's give a round of applause for the Zealand chicks this morning. Um, how are they doing this year? Are they? So the men's team is the chicks, right? What are the? They're all chicks. The ducks split off. There was a, there was a split. Was it a nasty split or was it a? So the ducks and the chicks have split. All right. Keep us updated on Zealand, okay? Are they, the football team looking okay? We don't know. We don't know about Zealand. If anyone has a report on Zealand, please bring it next week, okay? Oh, boy. I, yeah. Okay, so uh, there's only, we can only go up from here. All right, that's good. All right, so we got we've got some some music to start us off here. We got that. Hit play on that. Anybody name this tune? 
First one wins a brownie. Huh? Got to serve somebody, right? All right. Let's, Tony gets a brownie. Told you. Thanks, wife, for backing me up there. All right, what's he talking about here? All right, let's just let that play for a minute. Just get us kind of in the groove here. So you got to serve somebody, right? <clears throat> it's kind of that's what Bob is saying here. If I can call him Bob, it makes me feel cooler. Um, you got to serve somebody, right? It says you might be a socialite. You might wear cotton. You might wear silk. doesn't matter who you are. you got to serve somebody. And then he says it might be, might be God. It might be the devil. you got to serve somebody. So... This kind of setting the tone for us here for this last chapter of Joshua. You got to serve somebody. There's no, there's no if. It's, it's who or what. And so uh, this is really what uh, Joshua's challenge is to the people in Joshua chapter 24. All right, so we'll come back to that. So we've been going through this book of Joshua for the last how many weeks? Several? Too many? No? Not enough? Seven or eight. Um, so we've been going through this book, and we, we read this amazing story of God bringing His people from Egypt, from the wilderness, into this land that's been promised to them, right? And Joshua takes over Moses' leadership, and they cross over, and we have characters like Rahab, who God, uh, God redeemed and brought into his, in, to be a part of His people. And then we have, uh, they cross over, and they take Jericho, and... And the story continues and gets up to this point where the people are ready to go back to their inheritance. Everybody had to hang around until all the battles were won. That was the deal. And they're ready to go home to their new homes. But uh, Joshua calls one final meeting, and he's about to die. And at the end of this chapter, um, we read about his death and the transition uh, afterward. So at that point, um, at this point, before they go off... Joshua has one final, one final speech, one final stand before the people. And he calls them to a place. And I'll read the, the key passage here. If you can put up uh, Joshua 14, uh, 24, 14 and 15, just those verses in there. And we will uh, we'll read these and, and pray together. All right. Is that ESV or what, what version do you have of it? ESV? Okay, I'll read it from here too. Alright, so verse 14 and 15. Joshua tells the people, Now therefore fear the Lord and serve Him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. Verse 15. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your fathers served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, prepare us. Uh, prepare us, God, to encounter Your Word and Your story. Prepare us, Lord Jesus, to be like the person who built their house upon the rock instead of upon the sand. 
We read that the difference was that they both heard, but the difference was that one did your word and the other did not. Prepare us not only to hear, but to do what we hear you saying, Lord. Help us to start from a place of humility from which we can learn, Lord. We welcome you, Lord, to to be our teacher today. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so here we go. So this is a, a special time for Israel. And I also just want to throw this out there. I think it's a special time for this church, too. It's a special time for this church. And probably a lot of us individually can identify with things going on in our own lives that kind of signify transition or coming into something new, whether it's in family or career or personally in in relationships, relationship with God, whatever it might be. But certainly as a church, these are uh, some changing times. And uh, I think that there's some things that we can take away from this chapter along these lines. All right, so 24 verse 1. Get into the background a little bit. So Joshua calls this meeting. And uh, he calls this meeting in a place called Shechem. So Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem and summoned the elders, the heads, the judges, and the officers of Israel, and they presented themselves before God. So he calls a meeting. He calls the people together, but the location is important. Think about other instances where location is important. Like where we've had several, a lot of uh, people declare their, uh, their bid for the presidency, right? And the place where they make their announcement is they're trying to uh, signify something through that, right? Can you, any examples where people have announced their, their bid? They do it like, where did Walker do it? From Waukesha, right? Um, People are like sneering and smiling. <laughs> like, like <laughs> there's not much middle ground. What's going on with that? No. Uh, so, but play, think, for for major speeches, for major occasions like that, the location is important, right? And the same is true with with Joshua. And the there's a richness. So when the people are called to this location, it speaks history to them. They know that um, you ever get called like into the principal's office or into your boss's office, and you're like you're not sure if it's good or bad, but you think it's bad. And you're like, what is this about? Or someone's like, hey, uh, call me, it's really serious. And you're like, oh, what's this about? So the people are traveling to this place, but as they're traveling, the place itself is speaking to them. There's a, there's a message that it communicates. And the reason is that way back when Abraham was alive, and uh, he traveled into the same spot and stood on the same ground in Shechem, and God told him, your descendants will inherit this land that you see. Then, later on, Jacob comes back into the land, and uh, he's preparing for his calling, or, or you know, the, the, the unique journey that God has for him. And it's at this very spot that they cleanse themselves, they purge themselves, his whole household of their idols. And they buried them in the ground, in the same land. And it's also the same spot where, um, where Joshua and the people made a covenant with God in the first place in, uh, in Joshua chapter 8. So it's a place of covenant, it's a place of purification, it's a place of promise that they are traveling to for this meeting where they present themselves. Okay, so moving on, the, the next chunk of scripture here, verses 2 through 13. I'll start in the beginning and then I might summarize some of it as we go on. So uh, verse 2 starts up, And Joshua said to all the people, so the elders and the leaders were gathered, and all the people presented themselves. 
Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel. And then lays out history for them. Long ago your fathers lived beyond the Euphrates, Terah, the father of Abraham and of Nahor, and they served other gods. Then I took them. Pay attention to the verbs here. Pay attention to the verbs, the actions of God and the actions of the people. It's an interesting comparison. Alright, so God says, I took them. They served other gods. Then I took your father Abraham from beyond the river, and I led him through all the land of Canaan and made his offspring many. I gave him Isaac. What has God done so far? Took, led, gave. I gave him Isaac. And to Isaac I gave Jacob and Esau. And I gave Esau the hill country of Seir to possess. But Jacob and his children went down to Egypt. And I sent Moses and Aaron. So now he's sending. And I plagued whoa, Egypt with what I did in the midst of it. And afterwards I brought you out. Then I brought your fathers out of Egypt. And you came to the sea and the Egyptians pursued your fathers your fathers with chariots and horsemen to the Red Sea. And when they cried, is that the first, I think that might be the first action of the people. They cried out to the Lord. He put darkness between you and the Egyptians and made the sea come upon them and cover them. And your eyes saw what I did in Egypt and you lived in the wilderness a long time. So then we get more into, into the lifetime of these people who are gathered there. Um, let's see, what verse are we on? Amorites. Then I... Verse 8, Then I brought you to the land of the Amorites, who lived on the side of the Jordan. Then they fought with you, and I gave them into your hand, and you took possession of their land, and I destroyed them before you. Then Balak, the son of Zippor, king of Moab, rose and fought against Israel, and he sent and invited Balaam, the son of Beor, to curse you, but I would not listen to Balaam. Indeed, he blessed you, so I delivered you out of his hand. You went over the Jordan and came to Jericho, and the leaders of Jericho fought against you, and also the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Canaanites, the Hittites, lots of other people. And I gave them into your hand, and I sent the hornet before you, which drove them out before you, the king, two kings of the Amorites. It was not by your sword or your bow. I gave you a land on which you had not labored, and cities that you had not built, and you dwell in them. You eat the fruit of vineyards and olive orchards that you did not plant. Okay, I had to read it all because it's good. So what, um, what are some actions of the people that you hear there? How do they contrast with God's actions? Uh, pretty minimal, right? They're like, there are these passive actions, right? You, you took possession of what I was giving you. You ate. You drank. Let's see, I might... I've got them listed out here. Let's see. God took Abraham, led Abraham, made his offspring, gave Isaac, gave... Um, Jacob and Esau gave, sent, plagued, brought, put darkness, made the sea come up around them, brought you to the land, gave, destroyed, would not listen, gave, sent the hornets before you, gave you a land. What were the people's actions? Let's see. (laughs) They cried out. They went, came, cried, saw, lived, took possession, went, not because of their sword, was kind of a a negative action, Uh, and they had not labored, and they ate. It's pretty interesting, huh? So, um, God's presenting this history to them, and keep in mind where we're going, choose this day, 
And he lays out this history before them. He's making his case, right? And I, we're going to come back to this, but I want to, I want to challenge you that to consider if verses 2 through 13 here were your life. And take a moment and, and think about that seriously, okay? If this was your life, what, what are God's actions versus yours? What? He did most of it, right? When we see it correctly, when we see our correctly, when we see our history, we see all of the things that God has done. Have any of you ever experienced that? I'm getting ahead of myself, but tell me if you've experienced this where you when you gain perspective, you look back on a past event and you re-understand it. You understand it differently. And maybe you've had an experience like that with your parent where you thought maybe as a teenager you you were so maybe you were rebellious. Maybe some of you, I, I can't relate with this. And you thought, what? Like, why are they doing this to me? And then you look back and you think, oh. And suddenly events look really differently, don't they? And you re-remember when you gain understanding. You, you reinterpret. Your memories change. And uh, so we'll come back to that. But before, God, before they are challenged to choose, God makes His case. And God is not a, because I said so, God. He's not saying, choose me. See, if it was some of us as parents, to be honest and be real here, you wouldn't have made this case. You would have said, do what I said because I said so. Why? Because I said so and I'm bigger. Right? But God's not like that. He says, I want you to do this. This is who I am. And we can't be bothered with that because I said so. But he proves his track record over hundreds of years, hundred like patience, long suffering. He 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 lays out and he says, "This is who I have been to you. Now do this thing. It's the best for you, right?" Isn't that interesting how God works? It is. So, all right, moving ahead. So Joshua challenges the people. So they're standing on this ground of purification, of promise and covenant. And Joshua makes this challenge in verse 14. Now serve, therefore, sorry, fear the Lord and serve Him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your fathers served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But, and Joshua speaks up like a boss, he's like, whatever you do, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And keep in mind, this is the same Joshua who went with Caleb and uh, spied out the land and came back and was like, dude, God's going to give it to us. And the other ten spies were like, we're like grasshoppers, no way. Right? So this is that same Joshua, like, he's, he's like, you do what you're going to do. As for me and my people, we're going to serve the Lord. So, um, another thing that, that's really interesting about God's character is that He gives them a choice, right? He gives them a choice. He says, this is who I am. I've made my case to you. Serve me. Follow me. If you don't want to, then don't. And what kind of father does that? Have it... You don't have to raise your hand, but have any of you had to let a child go? 
like as an adult child or even as a teenager, and let them go on their way. Like the father in the prodigal son story. He demanded his inheritance, right? Demanded his money. And the father didn't like bind him and keep him, right? He, he released him. And, um, and so God's doing that with the people. He says, if it's evil in your eyes, then don't. Whatever you do, do it. Because you've got to serve somebody. Decide who it's going to be. All right, so they've got to choose. <laughs> I love Joshua's urgency. Choose this day. You've got to choose, and you've got to choose today. All right? So, we're going to go through the, the rest of the story, and then we're going to flip this and kind of interpret what some of these things mean for us. Uh, so he's saying, let's renew this covenant with God. If you're up for it, let's renew it. Now, here are the terms of the covenant. Here are the terms of the covenant in, in verse 14. Serve him in sincerity and faithfulness. These are the terms. Sincerity and faithfulness. Now, um, these, <laughs> these two things are, are, um, are powerful to break apart. So sincerity, meaning that not serving him for our own ends. Now contrast um, a, lot of the, a lot of what we see, especially in these Old Testament times, but we see within ourselves, our serving of gods for our own ends, right? Serving of gods who protect us, serving our national gods that will defend us. And, and um, the people, <laughs> we'll see in just a second, are very like adamant, like, no, we're going to serve the Lord. And Joshua's like, yeah, you're not. Sincerity and in faithfulness. Sincerity meaning not for our own ends, but for God's own ends. And faithfulness meaning faithfully along the way and perseverance. So, all right, let's jump ahead to 16 through 20. Next chunk. We're going to work our way through all these verses and then move on. All right, 16. Then the people answered, Far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. So Joshua gives them this challenge, and they're like, Hey, whoa, far be it from us. For it is the Lord our God who brought us and our fathers up from the land of Egypt out of the house of slavery and who did those great signs in our sight and preserved us in all the way that they went and among all the peoples through whom we passed. And the Lord drove out before us all the peoples and the Amorites who lived in the land. Therefore, we will serve the Lord, for He is our God. And Joshua responds, Yeah, you're not. What a downer. You are not able to serve the Lord. In other words, in your current state, you can't do it. For He is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions or your sins if you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods. And He will turn and do you harm and consume you after having done you good. So, Joshua looks at him and says, No, you're not fulfilling the terms of the covenant. You're not fulfilling sincerity and faithfulness. And the people's own words here from a historian I was reading was saying that the... This wouldn't be an uncommon thing for people in a nation to say at this time, like other Canaanite nations even, to say like, yeah, we will serve such and such a God, for He defended us at this place, for He, is, he has uh, given us security and this and that, therefore we will serve Him. So what they're saying on the surface, it looks good, but Joshua kind of sees through and sees their hearts, that it's not out of sincerity, it's for their own ends that they want to serve Him. 
that he will give them security, he will give them prosperity. So it's for their, bene- it's for their benefits. And that was the, the standard deal there for, for the gods around them and the peoples around them, that it wasn't for the sake of the God, the, for the God themselves that the people served them, but for their own benefit. And in faithfulness requires total surrender, for God is a holy God and He's a jealous God. It requires total surrender. It's exclusive. And Joshua, what Joshua says, you are not able, indicates that there were already idols among them. And that jumps ahead, jumping ahead to one of the verses up ahead, he says, uh, put away, verse 23, put away the idols. So there were already idols in their midst. So in their current state, the way that they were living, they couldn't do it. He also, they also maybe took it a little too lightly that, that they were going to serve the Lord and commit to Him. So the people respond back to Joshua. Verse 21, he said, And the people said to Joshua, No, but we will serve the Lord. Joshua said to the people, You are witnesses against yourselves that you have chosen the Lord to serve Him. And they said, We are witnesses. He said, Then put away the foreign gods that are among you and incline your heart to the Lord, the God of Israel. And the people said, The Lord our God we will serve, and His voice we will obey. So Joshua made a covenant with the people that day, and put in place statutes, and wrote these words in the book of the law of God. So what they were doing, sometimes we, like, and the people here, we lightly make commitments. We're like, oh yeah, I can do that. The people's words, he actually turned around and inscribed in this book, that they would carry with them in the book of the law of God. This was a permanent fixture in their history, the choice that they had just made. So Joshua made a covenant with the people that day and put in place statutes. He wrote the words, and he took a large stone and he set it up there under the terebinth that was by the sanctuary of the Lord. Joshua said to the people, Behold, this stone shall be a witness against you, for it has heard all the words of the Lord that he spoke to us. Therefore it shall be a witness against you, lest you deal falsely with your God. So Joshua sent the people away, every man to his inheritance. So it was after this choice, after this place, that they were able to go and enter into their inheritance. Now the rest of this chapter tells of Joshua's final days, his passing and his burial, his inheritance, and some other history of the people. It says that this this generation of people continued to serve the Lord uh, throughout Joshua's time and, and beyond Joshua's time. So, it's a lot of text. It's an interesting story. And there's a lot for us to gain from it. Alright, so turn this. What do we have? What does this all mean? And what does it mean for us? This story is not about us. How many people were there at Shechem that day? You weren't, right? So it's, it's like, it's not about you. <laughs> but the thing is that that's, this is what God is like and how He works. He brings us to places that are like a Shechem. He brings us through places that are like a wilderness after our deliverance. Has anybody ever been delivered from bondage in their lives? From addiction, from darkness, despair, and brought into a place where you felt like you were in a wilderness. And yet God was there faithfully with you, right? And then crossed into what you felt like was inheritance, and it was a fulfillment of promises of God. And before these people could receive their inheritance, they had to make this choice. Maybe it's that they had to be, um, God wanted them to take this step so they could even be entrusted 
with what he had to give them. All right, so flipping this over to us, I'm just going to follow that same sequence. We've got to choose. <laughs> and some of you, maybe you need to even have to choose today who you will serve. We've got to choose. You've got to serve somebody, right, Tony? You've got to serve somebody. So here's how God works for us. He lays out your history before you, and He says, look at your life. This is what I've done. This is what I've done for you. But sometimes we don't remember our history correctly. Sometimes we look at our lives, and we only see, like we, we don't interpret it through God's lens, through His perspective. We only see the hurt. We only see the abuse. We only see those events, but we don't see where God is in those events. And I want to challenge and encourage you guys, uh, especially many of you probably who have uh, endured abuse in your life, whether it's verbal, sexual, emotional, whatever it might be. I know from the, from the young people that we've worked with, we've found at times that up to 60% or more have experienced sexual abuse in their lives. And it's like, it's astounding. And these are a lot of kids who grew up in church, you know. And I'm not saying, oh, look around and look. You know, it's not like that. But a lot of us have experienced painful things in our lives. And we don't correctly see our history until we look back and we say, God, take me back to there. Our response often is denial. We want to leave it behind. Or we, we, um, we take on... Uh, Bitterness. And God wants to take our hand and turn around and say, okay, first you came from here and then I took your hand. And then we did this. And then that happened to you. And I was with you. And I delivered you. And I have helped you forward. And I'm not trying to oversimplify things. I'm just saying that we need to see God in the story because it changes the way that we remember. This is what Paul talked about, being transformed by the renewal of what? Our mind. And as we see him in the story, it, it changes the way we remember. It even changes like the physicality of our mind. The way our mind fires off when we smell certain smells or see certain things that bring back those memories. The emotional reaction and the response to those memories even changes. You with me? It's powerful. And I, I've experienced that in my own life. And we, on, in an ongoing way, experience that. Maybe, maybe what we need to re-remember are some of the, some of the hurt that we have caused to others. And we think, I can never move past that. And it's one of the idols that we carry is our own guilt and our own shame. Alright, so we got to choose. God is a holy and jealous God. He's holy. There's no fault in Him. There's no selfishness in Him. When has God ever acted selfishly? When has He ever neglected? Never, Right? And that may be a question for you, has he? And I, and I want to challenge you, I want to encourage you. You need to decide if you believe that or not. Has he ever acted harmfully, selfishly, neglecting you or others around you? And try this out. Hang your hope on him and say, if that is true, Lord, what does it mean about my life? What does it mean about my story? He is holy, but he's also jealous God is a jealous God. Now, a lot of times when we read this word jealousy or jealous, what's our response? Huh? It's negative, right? It's like it's a nasty word, jealousy. 
the reason it's nasty is because we don't have the right to be jealous. Right? Most times in my life that I've ever acted in jealousy or responded in jealousy, it's out of what? It's out of insecurity. And I've had those awkward conversations with my wife. Have we had these conversations? I think we, I can think of, she's like, I didn't do anything. What do you mean? No, we're, and even like when, when we were dating and you're like, well, why, what did that, when you did that thing? And the other person's like, what do you mean? I, they asked to borrow my phone. Like, I don't, you know what I mean? Like, out of our insecurity, we act in jealousy. But the thing is that God is never insecure and He's the only one with the right to respond in jealousy because He's the only one who has the full right to you, right? He's the only one who's fully deserving of your affection, of your obedience, of your attention. No one else has that right. And so when God sees us giving those things to another person, another object, He responds in jealousy. And that jealousy is, it's hard for us to think of like, like positive jealousy. Imagine uh, your teenage daughter or teenage son being led astray by someone. Maybe some of you have experienced this before. You just, you feel like there's somebody who's hanging out with them or some, an older person, or someone who is leading them astray and teaching them things that you don't want them to learn. Anybody relate with that? Slight nod. Okay, thank you. A little affirmation helps. Um, and you see that, and what's your reaction? Is it indifference? Well, oh. Like, doesn't it stir you up? There's like this, like, this mama bear type anger. And you're like, ugh. <laughs> right? Because you are jealous for that child. That's a holy jealousy. And we respond in it, and that anger leads us to action, and we intervene. Or if someone's going to harm your child. Now, and, and that's, that's, <laughs> that's like God's jealousy. Um, I think we have a passage here from Acts chapter, what, 16? Yeah, so... Hmm, okay, I gave you the wrong verse. Just kidding. Okay, hang with me here. Double check this if you doubt that this is in the Bible. So, so Paul comes into Athens, and he looks around, and what does he see? Idols everywhere. And it says, the scripture says that Paul was provoked in his spirit because of the idols. And this word provoked is like, it's not just like a, it's not a passive word at all. Here are some definitions. To make sharp, or to sharpen, to stimulate, to spur on, to urge, to irritate, to arouse anger. To make angry, to exasperate, to burn with anger. So these are some of the, so it's not, so Paul didn't just walk in and like some of our reactions, like when we walk around our city, our neighborhood, and we're like, oh, it's cool. You know, everybody kind of has their own way. It's all good. Right on. It's cool. Just take me to the co-op, bro. You know, like, this is like our, I've, I've shopped at the co-op, okay? Yeah. 17, 16, thank you. The numbers are all there. Oh, nice, there we go. So while he was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him. He saw the city was full of idols. So Paul, like God had infected 
Paul with this with his jealousy. And, uh, and Paul's reaction was strong. It wasn't just passive. And it was like that parental response of like, oh, my people are being led astray, my kids, my children. So this is how God feels toward us. All right, so he is, whole, he is a holy God and he is a jealous God. And he calls us in the covenant with him, just like he calls people in Joshua 24. But the terms are in line with this holiness and jealousy, okay? The terms of the contract are the same. What were they? Faithfulness and sincerity. So these are the terms of the contract for the people way back in Joshua 24, but it's the same for you. Sincerity and faithfulness, because God is a holy God and a jealous God. So what does this mean? Sincerity. We don't come to God for our own means. For our own, for our own ends. Sorry. We don't come to God for our own ends. And some of us have done this before, right? Remember, like, it's really clear in places like Haiti, like, we spent quite a bit of time in Haiti over the years, and um, it's, it's very well known, you know, like the voodoo practices in Haiti. And it's really weird to see it in person. And the more weird thing is that it, a lot of it works. It's totally bizarre. And, uh, but this is the real deal. And people will, will, um, people will, do these ceremonies and do things for these spirits. Why? For their own ends, right? To produce some result. So what's behind it is the, um, it's basically like the manipulation of the spirits, appeasing for our own ends. And we totally do this with God as Christians. We practice this kind of twisted, I'm not saying that we practice voodoo, but we do that, right? We do things to appease God, to achieve our ends, right? Have any of you ever done that before? Have you ever got up and, and had a quiet time and, you know, we have our nice quiet time and read the Bible and you pray and you walk away and you feel better? And you're like, well, I'll probably have a good day today. I mean, you wouldn't say that. Or you get a flat tire and you're like, man, how's, how can that happen? I like prayed, I did this, I did that, right? And so what's behind that? First of all, to, to, to ever think that God needs to be appeased means that He is not holy, Right? And he's not good because you've got to do something to make him good. You've got to get out and do a rain dance. You've got to get out and do your ritual, whether it's your quiet time, come here on Sunday morning, whatever it might be. You've got to get, write your check to give to the church or wherever. And um, that's your ritual. And basically what we're trying to do is appease God and control Him and manipulate Him for our own ends. The good news is that God won't be manipulated. Right? It's violating the covenant that we have with Him, with sincerity. And how about this? We, we come to God and we say, um, maybe it's at a, at, a, at a crusade or a big meeting, or maybe it's in a small group setting or at home alone, and we, we, suddenly we become terrified of hell. We become terrified of hell, and we realize, wow, that could be real. I don't want like all the worms and all those things. It sounds really bad there, right? And so what do I, oh God, save me, Jesus. Save me from hell. And we feel, what do we, do? we feel like a peace because Jesus works with us in that, right? And, uh, but what have we done? We've come to him for our own ends, right? To save us, to save ourselves from hell. And the crazy thing to me and I can relate with this in my own story, which I can tell you sometime, 
is that we can have that experience, say that prayer, and the selfishness of our heart is still there. With me? The selfishness of our heart is still there because our only motive is to save ourselves. And it's not sincere. I'm not saying that's not a starting point. Have any of you ever used fear to motivate your children? You have to, right? It's like, but, it's, but you don't start there, do you? They get up in the morning, you're like, eat your breakfast or I'm going to wear you out. That was, I had to explain to my kids this, past, this weekend what wear you out meant. Anybody's parents say that? Anybody from the other Texan raises their hand? I, I'm going to use it now. It works. It works. I'm going to wear you out. My kids are like, I didn't like say that, threatening them. And they're like, what does that mean? I'm like, oh, it means... Never mind. I'm going to wear you out. But you don't start there, right? It's like a last resort. But some of us do start there with our kids, and we need to change our hearts, right? Because God doesn't do that. He starts with His story and says, Hey, this is all I've done for you. I love you. And I want you to eat your breakfast, you know? <laughs> Whatever it might be. If your kid is, is walking out in front of this, in, in, you know, crossing the street in front of a car, like whatever, drop kick, tackle, whatever you got to do to get them out, right? Last resort. You... Okay, we'll leave the parenting workshop to somebody else. Um, it's not sincere. This past, uh, these past few days I've been in, uh, in Memphis, not actually Memphis, on the Mississippi side, visiting my grandmother. She hears me say it was in Tennessee. She will wear me out. Uh, I know she'll hear this tonight, but um, she uh, was told recently by doctors that she doesn't have long to live. Cancer is running rampant in her lungs. and um, So I went down with a couple of our kids to visit and just got back at 11.30 last night. Um, so as I, as, as I was getting ready to leave, I talked with her and I said, hey, how can we pray for you? And she looked at me, she kind of like, I don't even pray for myself. What are you talking about? I was like, oh, okay, well, I, she's like, basically what she was saying, I don't have time to pray for myself, I got all this other stuff to pray for. I'm like, well, all right, all right. See, here's the thing, you guys, it's not a, her life is not about her. She's giving it away. And she's like, my life is in his hands. When he's ready to take me, he's going to take me. Until then, we got work to do. And I loved it. I love that. And I love it like that that's, that's, my, that's my heritage. Um, but what about us, you guys? What's our motive? What about when we worship and we sing words? I always get a little bit nervous when, even when I'm leading a song or when, when we're singing God... You make all things work together for my good. God bless me. Right? And what's our motive in that? It's do me good, God. Do me good. Do me good. Does it help if I raise my hands? Okay. Well, like, whatever it takes, right? Are we seeing things like, um, I was thinking about that song, Trust and Obey. How's it go? Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus. And I was thinking about that, and I was thinking, like, well, it's probably, like, I made a new verse, and Beth, tell me, like, if we can do something with this musically, okay? So, um, might be, like, spoken word, like, I could get up and, like, drop some, I don't know. <laughs> anyway, um, trust, uh, like, trust and obey, 
Trust and obey. What's the key? Trust and obey. Because He's worthy! He's worthy! Trust and obey because He's worthy! He deserves your obedience. He deserves your trust. And if you question that, look at His track record. It's not about you being happy. If I could throw this... It's not about you. It's not about you going to heaven someday. It's about Him. Worthy is the Lamb, right? What is He challenging you to do? To give? Give. To change your job? Change it. To sell your house? Sell it. It doesn't matter. Because He's worthy. He's worthy. It's not about how you feel. You will feel good. It's not about you being happy. You will be happy. It's not about you being having peace. You will have peace. It's about Him. It's about Him. This is what it means to follow Jesus. This is what it means to be a Christian. It's not about you being saved. That's just a, like a speck of the story. Yes, He died for you. Now move on. I'm not making light of Him dying. I'm not making light of the cross. What happened after that? He was raised. And He gave you His Spirit. And now let's get to work. (laughs) Enough. Enough sitting around singing about how we feel. (laughs) Sometimes we need to do that, okay? Read through the Psalms and there's plenty of pouring out of our heart, you know? David's heart. There's plenty of that. But let's move on for crying out loud. Alright, so sincerity. These are the terms of the, of the covenant. Sincerity and faithfulness. I won't spend long on this. Faithfulness. A, a covenant with a holy God requires complete surrender. There's no middle ground. Choose Him or don't. And if you don't want to, I I might not be given the chance to teach again if I say this. If you don't want to, don't. Be honest with yourself. Be honest with God and the people around you. I'll stop there. (laughs) Quit playing games. Choose today who you will serve. I'm not saying turn away from God. I'm saying be honest with where you're at. And if you're not sure, tell Him, I'm not sure. I'm not sure I can trust you. And think of how many people I've talked to that we've worked with, have counseled or whatever, who said, I can't trust God. And I hear their story and I say, well, that makes sense. It makes sense that you don't trust God. First of all, you don't know Him. <laughs> Second of all, you've, <laughs> you've totally misunderstood who He is and what He's done in your life. Does that make sense? Why would you trust someone that you don't know? Don't trust someone that you don't know. They have to have some rapport with you first, right? Does that make sense? I don't want to just like jump over that and like drop in a bomb. Okay, let's move on. You trust someone on whom you can depend. Trustworthy means they are worthy of what? Trust. How can someone be worthy of trust? Through their reputation, through their history, right? By observation, observing their life. That's how you know someone's trustworthy. Trust someone who is trustworthy. There's no other person more worthy of your trust than God. And if you're not sure of that, I want to reassure you, it's because you don't know Him. 
Isn't that good news? Wow. <laughs> Worst, best news I heard all day. Um, it's because you don't know Him. The great news is that you can get to know Him. You can. So faithfulness requires a, a realignment of our life, uh, of repentance, to, to rethink and turn away from the thing. For example, if there is something in your life over which you have lost control, whether it be your iPhone or an iPad or a thing or some or your boat or whatever, a TV channel that you have, I don't know, get it out of your life. Set controls around it. You with me? You've got to, you've got to serve somebody. Decide who it's going to be. It can't be partial. I can't tell Emma, hey, Emma, you know what? This past year was great. I was faithful 364 days. <laughs> what? <laughs> there's no like, there's no middle ground. One day is unfaithfulness, right? Yeah. One day, one moment is unfaithfulness. We, we, we've got to make, you guys, we've got to grow. We've got to grow up. We've got to change. We've got to realign. We've got to be sincere. And we've got to be faithful. The challenge is out there for us. The call is out there. The choice is there. Realignment of our lives. If there, I'll even throw this out there. If there's someone in your workplace with whom you have struggled with some kind of infidelity, quit. Change jobs. He's looking around. Let's not get too serious here. Seriously. Whatever it is, do away with it. Move on. Give somebody else control. If you've lost lost control of your spending, give somebody your cards and give them oversight. You struggle with pornography and internet usage, give somebody else total oversight of your, like what websites you visit and all that stuff. Okay? We've got like the commitment, the, the place we're at. I, I'll throw, I don't want to get to, I don't want to develop this any further than I need to and get carried away, but I believe we're at a kind of a Shechem as a church, okay? Individually, together as a community. And we've got to decide. And when circumstances change, we have to kind of revisit our covenant. You know, if Emma, if one of us uh, became really, really sick, and circumstances change or we like lose everything, our house burns down, we have to come back together and say, you know what, even in this circumstance, I'm committed. Right? And it's, there's a renewal of covenant based on new circumstances. And we're even at a place like that where we're facing new circumstances and we have to decide, where are we as individuals, as families, as couples, and as a church? Will we renew our covenant? Now the... We'll uh, talk about idols here just to end. Now, a lot of these things I've been describing are are idols, and Joshua challenged the people to rid themselves of the idols that were among them. And um, the the same is true for us, you guys. We have got to, before we can be released into greater things or things that God has for us, similar to the way that he had things for his people in Joshua 24. 
to be able to be entrusted with those things, we've got to bury our idols. We've got to cut them off, burn them, destroy them. And what are some of these things? Sometimes uh, in the time of Joshua, idolatry was a little bit easier to pinpoint because there was often like a, a man-made object, right? A piece of wood, a stone, whatever it might be. Easier to identify. Hey, get that idol out of here. What's wrong with you? Smack somebody on the back of the head. Get that out of here. In our time, it's, it's difficult because... Idols are, tend to be invisible. They tend to hide in our hearts and minds. And what are they? Here's a, a few, a few uh, statements from an, some guy named Tim Keller um, describing what idols are, okay? Anything more important to you than God. Anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God. Anything you seek to give you what only God can. Whatever you look at and say, if I have that, I'll feel as if my life has meaning. Then I'll have value. Then I'll feel significant and secure. Here's a third one. Whatever we might lose that would cause us to want to stop living. If you want to know what's wrong with your marriage, ask the Lord to show you your idols. (laughs) If you want to know... What's, what's going on um, within your company, within your family? Ask the Lord to show you the idols. A few diagnostic things. How do we know? What, what is it that, that brings offense? What is it that stirs your anger and makes you offended? How do you react? Is it when someone challenges your reputation? or your masculinity, or your ability, or your, your gifts, artistic or musical ability? Um, when do you feel insulted? What causes anxiety in your life? These are some of the things that can help us identify what our idols are, and what we are serving. And the thing that we need to see, you guys, is that this is serious. This is serious. And God takes it seriously. So, all right, wrapping up. In this, in this uh, sermon series as we've gone through Joshua, we've looked at uh, how God brought His people through the land. He brought them out of bondage. Uh, he brought them into the land of the inheritance and was teaching them how to be His people. And um, we get here to Joshua's final, final message to the people. Jesus is a true and better Joshua. Okay? He's established us as His people. He's given us the gift of His presence and He's called us on mission with Him in our place. And the challenge for us today is the same as it was for the people in Joshua 24. Wrapping up this whole series on Joshua is to obey Him, to serve Him with sincerity and faithfulness. And so I want to challenge you today to... um, if you're at that place, to renew your covenant with Him. As we, we take communion, we're going to worship a little bit more. Um, renew that covenant with Him and say, in this place, and maybe there's some specifics, in this life circumstance, in this thing that's taken place, um, I want to renew my covenant with you today. And Joshua's words still speak to us. Cast out your idols that are among you. Let's ask the Lord to show us if there are any idols in our lives.
that would hinder our faithfulness to Him. Let's pray. I want to ask the worship team to come up. I'm going to pray. Say a few words about communion. Lord, help us. It's only by Your mercy that we can be Yours and that You've called us. It's only by Your mercy, Lord, that uh, we can be helped by Your Spirit to root out idols in our lives and in our hearts. Please guide us, Lord, and thank You that You have invited us to make covenant with You in sincerity and faithfulness. Amen.